and Ramsey Unleashed, the people's podcast. We are here to rock the podcast world. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. You are listening to another episode of Hatrick and Ramsey Unleashed. Um, today, on the, coming up on the show, you have a we have a trip. The hat trick went on a trip with our analyst, John Sutherland. He pops up now and then, um, and they went on a wee trip to the Jaguar garage down south, and you will hear all about their wee, tri- uh, their wee trip uh, later on in the show. Um, they talk about uh, what this their wee journey and how the cars were being built, etc., also, the cars like Honda who were not being sold it was quite interesting. So, um, a good we good we sort of chat between the the Hattrick and the Sutherland. Um, so, <laughs> so I, I think I'm I'm presuming I, um, I'm getting the feeling that Mister Mister Sutherland uh, or analyst is turning into a greenie. He's going to be joining Natalie Bennett in the Green Party <laughs> politician on the campaign run. <laughs> so. Uh, I'm going to say she needs all the help she can get. Um, while while wearing while wearing his T-shirt, I love fossil fuels. So anyway, <laughs> that's gonna be classic, absolutely classic. So coming up, I'm sure we have the, the Hatrick and the, our trusty analyst John Sutherland. Um, they'll be talking about their trip down to the Jaguar factory uh, and a little bit about politics. Uh, so you'll get a little bit of banter from these two guys coming up later on. But now. Uh, you've got the Ramsey just having a little bit of chat. Um, talk about what's going on around around your around the news. One thing I found, uh, one thing I really do want to talk about is, um, okay, I maybe don't know much. I'm, I'm just seeing what's on the news, and I'm sure everybody else is just seeing what's on the news. Is the situation in Baltimore now? Uh, America at the moment, pockets of America. It's the unlawful treatment from cops to black people is becoming almost uh, it's like there's one rule for white guys and one rule for blacks if you're a white guy you get treated you'll get a wee slap on the wrist oh you've done a bad thing there we go you slap on the wrist and you'll get treated with kid gloves as you get taken to carted off to jail or carted off to the police station or wherever and get processed but if you're black is a different story. You almost like you're getting taken down like you're some big massive bear. Um, you're getting hauled to the ground. You're getting forced. Your hands behind your back. Literally, it's like almost like brutality. Now, is there really a need for that? Why? Now, I understand there's obviously black cops as well, but um, just for some random reason, the it seems to have gone out of control very badly it's escalated out of control regarding the situation with black people that they how they're getting handled for simple things or and it's like the cops are on just twitchy twitchy they're really just on edge maybe they've had they've been sitting in their cars with the, the donuts and the coffee 
and they're on a caffeine high, and that's why they're twitchy. And I say, hey, lay off the coffee, mate. So, what's really happening here? It's, it's I mean, Baltimore's just gone bonkers. I mean, riots and everything. I mean, we do, obviously, I don't know. I've never lived in Baltimore or lived in parts of America. Um, I don't know what it's like. I, the, the situation, there was, there's videos going viral, not just from Baltimore. There's one this morning, it went viral. Uh, it was about, I think a police car hit somebody's car. And the husband is the wife, and you've got kids, and he's getting almost the way he's, the policeman's trying to put his hands behind his back is almost like painful. I think, really, um, it's just totally. Do you have to go that? Do you have to go that far? Do the police almost like? Are you really? Uh, you understand in America, there's different because you people with guns and like you have to be more careful over here. It's different. Uh, yes, slightly different to here. But do you have to use the really the brutal force that you are using just to get your way? I understand if the person was giving you back chat or anything, if apparently if the person who you're actually putting trying to put the cuffs on uh, was giving you some chat or being a, a disrespectful or in any way, yes, I completely understand. But sometimes is there a point to all this? Um, I am desperate to, I've got friends in America on Facebook, I want to get a change, I want to interview you guys, uh, these are black friends, and I want to uh, interview your take on the situation within America regarding the unlawful force on black people from the cops. Um, I think it'd be a great story to talk about on the podcast, um, I think it'd be fantastic for people to listen to, getting somebody's take from uh, over over the pond, basically, to tell us about this situation. Um, so, if you're listening to this and you're interested, contact us at Hattrick and Ramsey at gmail.com. We'd love to listen to you uh, talk about this, this situation. We'll do a Skype interview. Um, we can talk, record it. Or if you've got a, a, an iPhone, or if you've got a, the Viber or uh, WhatsApp or something, we can chat over that. We can uh, interview. Uh, over that uh, the phone so that would be great so please if you're from America and you're a black uh, person and a black American please give us an email hatrickandramsey at gmail.com uh, you'll find us also on Facebook you can uh, get in contact with us uh, as well please we'd love to hear from you I think it would be great to talk about uh, your perspective on things in America and what's going on uh, across the world but anyway um it's all good. So the, I'm going to say the, the weather here is crap. Back to as usual, just go to talk about more cheery things. And the weather in Britain is rubbish. It's freezing, freezing my ass off. And it's April, it may be spring, summer, it feels like autumn. But never mind. That's just it's got British weather, really. So, can't wait. In a couple of days, I'm off to Spain. 27 degrees, which is probably quite high. Well, 27 degrees, not Fahrenheit, probably over 100. I don't know, close to 100, maybe. Happy days, can't complain. Couple, sit back, sit in the sun for a couple of days, come back and go back to start again and work. So great, so good to sit in the sun. Yeah, baby! Can't wait, anyway. Alright, uh, I'm excited. <clears throat> so we're going to have, coming up on this show, I was going to play some music, but I thought we'll get some more music coming up later on. Uh, I've got to arrange to confirm a band interview uh, in a few weeks' time. Um, also... You have the general election a week today. It's just Thursday. Thursday the 30th of April. You have a week and we have the general election in the UK. 
So, who are you? Which colours are you supporting? Are you supporting the, the, the red of labour? Are you the blue of Tory? As in the blue of the Conservative Party? Are you the yellow of... Well, there's this sort of goldy yellow of the Liberal Democrats? Are you the yellow of the SNP? If you live in Scotland. Are you the purple of UKIP? Are you the green of the Greens? So... And all your other parties, whatever their colours are. So, as in the monster raving loony party, it was always really is the point of having a party like that. But uh, hey ho, such is life. Monster raving loony party, monster raving loony party by name. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to shut up now. Coming up on the show, you have the well-deserved wee break from the hat trick. Yeah, with, with the analyst down to a Jaguar factory, and they talk to that. You're going to hear a little bit about their politics as well, their chat on the, what's coming up. And then Jonathan is the analyst. He's the man. He is. He eats, sleeps, and drinks daily politics. So, as the build-up now finishes, it's where these trusty... Oh, you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm not going to give him any more coverage, because here it is, ladies and gentlemen, the... Patrick and the Sutherland's day trip away. Enjoy. Good evening. Welcome to Hatrick and John Sutherland. That's right. Right, uh, the Ramsay's away today, and it's up to the two of us to try and destroy the show. <laughs> yeah, Patrick and Ramsay Unleashed, cobbled together by the two of us. Excellent. Well, we hope you're all well, too, and, and hoping that our, all our listeners are fine and enjoying the good weather. Although I do believe that yesterday in the north of Scotland, it was actually snowing, and people were stuck and stranded. So we hope you managed to make it back to your cars and get back home, and that there wasn't any, any accidents or incidents other than the bad weather. Well, tonight uh, we are in Castle Donington, and we've had quite an interesting day. When you say we're in Castle Donington, it makes you sound like we're in some sort of gothic castle with butlers and four-poster beds and luxury food. We're actually in a travel tavern <laughs> uh, at the motorway service area, such as the glamour of the Hattrick and Ramsey Unleashed budget. There's always two ways of describing something. <laughs> <laughs> Honesty is what we always strive for. <laughs> I thought that was kind of like, like, like the difference between internet and reality, isn't it, when they describe something on there? <laughs> exactly. But yeah, we're just here. It's a, is it Castle Donington Services we're at, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, it's very, it's quite good though. I have to admit. And if you stay at a travel lodge here, you get twenty percent off um, the shops and things, which is quite good. So we've been managing to um, feast ourselves on chocolate um, and the harvester, which was not too bad. Actually. Not too we're bad. A, a, mix, a mixed grill, twenty percent off, yeah. living healthily. Aye, aye. We're putting on weight as we speak. And, uh, Don't. <laughs> So, what we're going to start with then? It was today we had the privilege of going to the Jaguar factory tour, and I have to say it was absolutely brilliant. 
really really good now I know I normally say things about cars are very very good um, and lots of fun um, but this one actually really was I mean to see the cars all these pieces of metal of or aluminium um, that are all kind of flat and then by the end of it you're seeing the real car and everything drive away it is quite spectacular yeah to see a car go from sheet metal on a roll to a beautiful Jaguar F-Type uh, at the end of the production line it's it is quite special to see, you know, something just come together before your eyes. Yeah. And the Castle Bromwich site, that's one of two Jaguar sites in Birmingham. They've got one at Solihull, which is also the Land Rover site. But this is the old site where the Spitfire was produced from yeah. 1939 to 1945. And yeah. also the Lancaster Bomber. So a lot of British history in that site. All right. All right. I, I mean, I have to say that the, <clears throat> the uh, tour guide who took us around was excellent. Um, and it was very well managed. As soon as we got in, they they'd reserved us a parking space. Um, there were only about eight of us on the on the tour, um, but it really was. It was just so interesting to see how everything worked um, and all the machines. I mean, the amount of robots and then the engineers making sure everything was working and, and sorting out um, all the stuff that was happening and lots of people on on those little buggies. <clears throat> driving around everywhere in forklift trucks um, with hundreds of thousands of parts. I mean, the, how they manage to get everything to work at the right time. Um, they have to make sure every machine has enough has enough parts to build, you know, and then that all has to come together um, to make sure it's the right part going on the right car. Um, but it was amazing. I mean, there must have been hundreds of F-types sitting in the car park. Oh, and, absolutely, hundreds. Um, yeah, yeah, very very exciting experience. And sort of uplifting too. You know, you hear about the recession and austerity, <clears> but here's a company... In rude health, Jaguar Land Rover, obviously a lot of money to invest. You know, they couldn't, the whole site was crammed with cars. They, you know, they needed more space because they can't keep up with um, with demand, really. That's uh, pretty unusual for a British car company. <laughs> I know, I know. That's the thing, isn't it? So, yeah, so we would certainly recommend, well, certainly I would recommend the Jaguar Factory Tour. Jaguar Factory Tour, absolutely. Was, yeah. I totally recommend that. You can go online to uh, the Jaguar Factory Tour website. They've got their own website now. In fact, they're making more and more of these tours, and they're starting a VIP tour later in the year, which uh-huh. is very expensive, probably two or £300. But Make sure your Jaguar dealer throws that in. Exactly. Throw it in when you pay full <laughs> list price for that XJ long wheelbase. Yeah, I think the <laughs> least they could do is throw that one in. Um, but very, very, very exciting to see uh, British, or albeit Indian-owned, uh, yeah. commerce and uh, industry and design in progress. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And while we were in, um, at, no, just around the corner from the Jaguar factory, we had a look at some cars. Uh, in fact, we, it was a kind of motoring strip, wasn't it? There was quite a, a number of different um, dealers, including um, Skoda and Land Rover and Peugeot and Honda and it was quite interesting as we walked in the different dealers to see the, the kind of momentum or the, or the attitude of the, the dealers and how well they were doing there, there was one um, dealer that we thought I wouldn't say it was in crisis but it certainly um, didn't look like they were having a great time they weren't enjoying themselves at work no, were they no, really? you could, tell, quiet, you could yeah. tell that and the sort and of you know the uh, dust on the top of the cars and you know, no one had bought one for years <laughs> Yeah, and I'm quite amazed that the company we're talking about is Honda. I mean, a few years ago, Honda was really doing rather well. I mean, it's built in Britain, down in Swindon, um, and, you know, they're, they're producing a lot of cars down there. But it just seems like they're a bit off the boil, isn't it? And they're struggling to get kind of the design right or just to appeal to the UK customers. And they had lots of Honda Jazzes with quite big discounts. They had Honda Civics with quite big discounts. Yeah, but they're still not big enough. You know, it's, but they're still that little bit pricey. They're just missing something. I don't know mm. what it is. They don't seem to have the design edge of, of Mazda. Yeah. They don't have any halo models anymore. I know the NSX is coming. And yeah. maybe Type R models are coming, but there's not one. Um, 
Yeah. Not one model that really sort of grabs your imagination. Uh, it just seems no to be... cords in there. The the CRVs look really dull. They're pretty dull. You know, I mean, it tends to be sort of older people really looking for a an easy to live with yeah. car. Really, I mean, if you know, they want probably used cars on automatics and yeah. you know high lift seats, you know stuff like yeah. that, motability. That kind of stuff. So Myrtle's yeah. gone to Mazda. Exactly. It's bad news when Myrtle goes to Mazda. <laughs> she just finds the Honda too dull for Myrtle. That's not even, good news. Even in Hearing Aid Beige, of which there were a few in there. Yeah, they had a lot of Honda Jazz in Hearing Aid Beige, didn't they? That was, well, that was I mean, they're going to be there a while. I mean, they <laughs> seriously need to discount those and get them down to motor point. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, well, we've seen the same cars, or six months old cars pre registered for an under nine, oh, about £9,000, between £9,000 and £10,000. And they were quite a bit more than that in there, so it's kind of yeah, it's That's kind of, it needs a bit of a there. Yeah, it's all about price on these kind of cars as well. If they're going to um, face a bigger marketplace, uh, but similarly, um, they've not been there that long. But you kind of feel they must have put a lot yeah, of money. They're not going to be that. there much longer. Well, it's, it's not. <laughs> yeah, you kind of feel for them um, because it's they need to get new models and something a bit more exciting and. Um, and some some pretty good PCB deals to start. I think so. Shifting. It did have a slight air of despair about it, but one that didn't really was Skoda. Now, they yeah. were quite quite chipper, really down there. A nice uh, range of cars, well built, well designed, and well priced. Aye, aye. I did. I love the range. I mean, the the, the Rapide is nice, and and they had the Rapide Sport, um, which was a great deal. It was sixty three plated for just over ten thousand pound. Yeah. So I thought that was a cracking cracking car and it was in white and it looked like a little Audi A3 really in like an Audi A3 saloon well, it's probably based on the same platform thing. isn't it but um, but it was really nice and, and a, a bit of a bargain I thought for for um, for that kind of money um, but yeah the, the, the Rapide seems to be quite a good car the new Fabia seems to be doing quite well I mean it won the what car car of the year award um, but then sort of the Mind you, the year uh, before. exactly. And I think the Fiat Strada won it as well, didn't it? And the, the Peugeot 1007. I think a lot of money changed hands <laughs> at the Car of the Year award, let's face it. <laughs> it is, it is certainly. Did the Citroen BX win it as well? <clears throat> it was one of those today as well, which is remarkable. Yes, an estate, wasn't it? Yeah, it's quite goodness, a car. There, a bit of a rarity. But uh, at the other end of the scale, we uh, looked at Range Rover, Land Rover as uh, well, didn't we? One of the Range Rovers in stock was £100,850. Uh, quite a machine. No discount. Yeah. Full list, that's all it is. They don't need to. It's amazing when you get to a level when you don't have to give any kind of finance deals or anything at all. Yeah. And that's what the car costs. It's like, I mean, if there's ever a company on the up, you know, it's Land Rover and uh, you know, Jaguar yeah. as well, I suppose. It's like nothing, yeah. they, nothing they can do goes wrong. Everything yeah. they do, they land on their feet. Yeah. You know, the designs are great. The engineering's there. They've got the money behind them from uh, yeah. from India now, yeah. uh-huh. and they really seem to be quite committed to putting together a, a great range of cars. Yeah, I mean, every everyone that they had in the showroom either looked really cool or just ama- you know, amazing. It mm-hmm. was just uh, the slick, the slickness of the new Range Rover, um, and then the kind of the coolness of the Defender. It was just like fantastic. Yeah, there wasn't you know, one just... car in that showroom you wouldn't want on your drive. Yeah, there were a few outside the showroom you wouldn't want on your drive, <laughs> like the Range Rover Sport, the previous generation, which to me just looks awful. <laughs> and if ever there's a car driven by total idiots, it's always the old model Range Rover Sport. I don't know what it is about that car. I'm sure we just alienated some of our listeners, but well, we... probably not. No, they're too busy roaring through traffic, carving people up. I would imagine. <laughs> Uh, we suddenly had some interesting second-hand cars there, isn't it? It's amazing how things can just go out of fashion and that. But they still wanted quite a lot of money for these Big cars, money. though, isn't it? Old shape Range Rover yeah, Sports, so over 40k. Nuts. And the, the, it's amazing to me as well, the rise of the, the price of the discoveries. Because now you don't get the discount you used to get. I mean, and they're now 40 grand plus, even as for an entry-level car. 
So it's it's I mean it's I don't think it's one that's about under forty grand, but it's still it, it's it's a lot of money. But they but they seem to be able to get the, the get the deal. Absolutely, I mean normally when saying, cars come to the end of their life cycle, they get discounted or they get added yeah. equipment to make them sort of shift off a lot. But the discovery yeah. seems to be just going up in price because yeah. they just and can't keep keep producing yeah. enough for demand. So. Well, I mean, there were a few there that were fifty five thousand pounds. Yeah, and uh, and I did think it's not. When they, when they were first launched, they were about 29, mm-hmm. and it was a bargain, it was a cracking car at that money, but it's really gone yeah, up. Yeah, 10 year old design, but that's more. because they've kept engineering it, redesigning it, just yeah. keeping it absolutely fresh. Yeah. And of course, we saw the new Discovery Sport as well, we're starting that today. Yeah. Um, and that, I have to say, that was quite impressive. The one I sat and had a manual gearbox, I was a bit surprised at that. Mm-hmm. It was nearly 40 grand as well. Um, but um, but yeah, I would have thought that the automatic would be I would kind of say essential. So. With what, that. Who wants a manual gearbox? Yeah. Honestly, who wants a manual gearbox and who wants a diesel engine? Yeah. Honestly, they're also saying that to wait until the new diesel comes out or well, the new two-liter um, uh, diesel um, death well, juice. <laughs> What's your obsession with death juice? It's killing it's, the baby children. Is it? <laughs> but um, well, it's a lot cheaper to run overall. Well, it would probably be cheaper to run if you. Uh, mashed up baby puppies, but I wouldn't. You know, it wouldn't be good for the soul. It wouldn't be good for John's baby going puppies. environmental. Honestly. Well, I just don't like diesels. You know, I've you know they put out this horrible soot. They make this terrible clattering noise, and they're just so complicated. Please stop buying diesels. You just bought one. Well, yeah. Sorry, not finished. Your family has one, but the the car. I don't have here. any diesels. Actually, that is true. But you, were, we have been driving. A rather nice one. I'm an eco-warrior. <laughs> That's what I do. Through my job and in my career, I'm an eco-warrior. <laughs> yeah, we'll give out £5 to anyone who spots that I love fossil fuels t-shirt that he's wearing. You know, exactly. Exactly. And my key fob that says global warming is all my fault. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, going on from, from there... Um, in terms of, I mean, as you're saying, the Jaguar factory, well, I mean, it was great to see that it is a great success story. And, you know, in, in the general election that's coming up, um, some parties are talking a little bit more about business. I mean, the Tories are saying, you know, businesses are, are you know, are, are back. Then was it 5,000 businesses today signed some letter or petition saying that it was the Tories that were going to have, you know, the best chance mm-hmm. um, to take the country forward? Um, and what were Labour today announcing? Well, Labour's come up with some very interesting housing policy today in particular capping the rents that uh, landlords can charge tenants which might sound like a good idea in principle let's wave the red flag and say jolly good but if you start to think about it in practice as with most of Labour's policies then as well shall we say one or two flaws in the uh, in the argument Um, rather like the energy price Fiasco, yeah. which Miliband brought in you know, probably about a year ago or so now, where he wanted to fix energy prices at Recognize. basically about one hundred and twenty dollars a barrel for oil, and he would have fixed them there, and then immediately dropped to forty. So <laughs> British consumers would be locked in for three years at three times the price of energy. Well, now he wants to limit the amount that landlords can put up rent, but of course he has to announce this policy in advance. So you might get a budget and put this in, or a bit of legislation through Parliament and it will they say on the 1st of July you cannot increase the rent of your rental properties above inflation which as we speak is zero so what will landlords do they'll hike up the property uh, rental prices by about 10% immediately and um, after three years they'll hike them up another 10% immediately (laughs) 
Um, or at the very most they'll do is they will increase at inflation every year. Oh. So maybe a landlord might normally leave the rent the same for a good tenant for three years. Oh. Well, now your only chance to increase the yeah. rent is in line with inflation. So what are you going to do? You're going to yeah. increase the rents. So what Milliman's really doing, I mean, zero inflation as we have now is really a very unusual situation. He's building in rent increases for tenants. Yeah. Whereas many landlords now, to keep good tenants, yeah. simply won't increase the rent. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? I, I, I completely agree with you. I think what was very funny um, was that when they, whenever they come out with some great plan and you know to regulate the markets and they say oh we're going to control this and control that, you just know it's just going to you know it's just going to collapse. And uh, when we were listening to LBC earlier on, basically they had Rachel Reeves um, on one of the shows and the 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 chap who was um, ask, uh, interviewing her basically said that isn't that economically illiterate? Yeah, Ian Dale. Ian yeah, Dale. on his uh, afternoon show on LBC said. That's economically illiterate. Huh? Yeah, and she was saying, no, it's fair. It's all very fair. And, and we just thought, no, you, if you're going to start controlling that, the only reason and the only way that landlords are actually going to make any money at all, and normally they would increase it maybe once a year if, they're, if they had to, but they, they would just, they would probably cover their costs or a bit of inflation to kind of match that. So it might go up by 20 or £30 pounds a month or whatever. Um, but now, as you say, they're going to have to um, put the rates up right now because they're being instructed. You know, if Labour get in and say, right, buy stocks on such a time, the rates are fixed or the cap comes in. So they'll have to do it right now. Mm-hmm. And then that's just going to put people out because if people can't afford it, then that's, um, they'll, they'll just move out. So it's, uh, and then they can rent the house out for holiday properties or whatever else. Uh, absolutely. It's going to dry up certain mar- houses on the, yeah. the uh, buy-to-let market. People won't be bothered to... To yeah. let them anymore, yeah. um, it's an uh, extraordinary thing, and also a mortgage advisor ran up this, rang up this show on LBC and said, "Well, do you realise that um, almost all buy-to-let mortgages limit the length of tenancy between to between right. six and twelve months? Right. So if Labour come in and make it a minimum of three years, or at least yeah. three years, um, then all the mortgages will become void." Yeah, and then they said. Um, the yeah, housing minister for New Labour or Old Emma Labour, or Emma Reynolds, that's yeah. her, I think that's her name, um, contacted the show by text, I believe, to Ian Dale, said, oh, don't worry, we thought of that. But that was it. Didn't I actually explain what the plan was to do with it. <laughs> Just said, we thought of that. Oh, that's fine, Emma. Brilliant. Put it through. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's nonsense. It's like their mansion tax plans. Um, Andrew Neil, the fantastic Andrew Neil, the yeah. only reason to pay the licence fee on the BBC. He... Um, he tackled the uh, housing minister um, again. I think it was it wasn't Emma else. I don't forget who it was. Another one anyway about the mansion tax, and he asked it's over two million pounds. So yeah. will the mansion tax be applicable just on the value above two million pounds, or if your house is over two million, do you have to pay the percentage mm-hmm. on the entire oh, amount? And the Labour minister or shadow minister just said, uh, "That's just a policy detail," and. Just a policy is fundamental yeah. to yeah, the policy, yeah, and they yeah. hadn't thought it through. Yeah. I mean, they just they just don't know. I mean, I, I would have thought it would surely be on the whole thing. So if your if your house is worth two million pounds and you have to pay whatever two percent or something, um, or one percent of that, that's going to be twenty grand, and um, that you're going to have to pay every year. 
um, just for that extra tax. Yeah, it might yeah. be, or it might not be. No yeah. one seems to know, which yeah. is pretty fundamental to the policy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all the parties, I think Labour and, and the Conservatives too, they're just throwing yeah. ridiculous ideas around in yeah. a desperate attempt to get votes. I mean, wonder why you keep taking the vote. Right. You're going to say, how many houses, even in London, which I know there's a few houses over a million pounds, but how many? You know, how many are actually over two million? You know, it's probably not that many. No, it's quite maybe a few. A, few, a couple of few thousand, maybe. You think in the whole of London? I don't know how many it would be. It's very much in London, and the southeast. Yeah. It's very few. Over but two I mean, million anywhere I just, else. and even if they're getting, let's say, they get an average ten thousand pounds. Um, it's not that much money overall they're going to raise. Only got to administer it and make sure everyone's paying it and all the rest of it. You just think, is it really going to raise the mm-hmm. kind of money that? And is expecting? again, is it thought through? Yeah. Because people with houses sort of around yeah. about that, that yeah. you will let them run down. They will let yeah. the roofs get into bad state. Or they'll repair. just have to sell. Let they'll the just have to let sell the gardens them. get disrepair, so they'll get them valued. And because they're not in such good condition. Uh, They'll get valued a little bit less to save money. It's ludicrous. Or larger houses um, in London, not even very big houses, they'll just get split into flats. Uh, I mean, you just split it into flat. So you get your two, get a house that's worth £3 million, you split it into two flats worth £1.5 million, and you completely avoid the tax. I mean, it's it's just not thought through at all. Uh, I think I think it is crazy, and it's almost as I mean as crazy as the, as the freezing the, the the fuel prices or the energy prices, uh, because you just think I mean I knew immediately that this sounded wrong um, when they announced it, and I thought you know they say oh it's very popular yeah if you feed anybody this kind of nonsense eventually people will kind of unfortunately will take it up and believe it, mm-hmm. um, but although I have to say when I spoke to people I mean you actually asked them the question you know how do you think it's going to actually work they didn't have much confidence that it was a good idea at all. Um, because you say that the prices were high then, and they were going to be fixed to that price, and you're really scuppered. Yeah, fixed them at an all-time high. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's only labour yes, can come really. up with this. And then where does the money go? I mean, yeah. does the money go to the government, yeah. or do the energy companies just have to make massive profits? Yeah, yeah. It, it's and if the energy companies say, well, we can't afford to keep it at that rate, you know, if it went too high, they said they need to increase it. Um, or if they went over it, you know, how does the money, does, what's the government going to do to penalise them or, or is it going to pay the bill? Is it going to pay the, the energy companies a subsidy to, to keep going? You know, you know if, if they say, well, we're going to collapse unless yeah, we do that, unless you, you give us some kind of subsidy. Exactly, we're going to go bust. You know, the energy prices did go up and they were fixed. I mean, yeah. it's a business. And there was no idea about cost. Let's just turn the lights anything. off. You know, how can, it, it, it does seem a bit crazy. It's worrying that the guy who could very well be the Prime Minister in four weeks' time, dread the yeah. thought, but it could be, seems to have no idea about markets and how they yeah. work. Yeah. He yeah. just seems to believe in state control of absolutely everything. If the state wants to help with energy prices, what the state could do is take yeah. away the 5% VAT on fuel, yeah. on yeah. domestic heating fuel, for example. Yeah. Yeah. They never talk about doing that, do they? Yeah. I mean, that would be an immediate 5% decrease for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So if they really cared, they'd do that. Yeah. I think the key thing is... Um, for if you really want to save money on on gas and energy and that, you just need to look around and you need to switch. You need to be prepared to look around and find a cheaper price, and you'll get you'll get a better saving than anything the government's ever going to do. Possibly, uh-huh. but the privatisation isn't really privatisation, is it? I mean, it's they do work car. a bit as a cartel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's, he's right there. Around, but, yeah, yeah. You know, you just got to make sure the reg- energy regulator has got sufficient teeth to find the companies if they are yeah. deemed to be operating as a cartel. You can't fix it from above. Yeah. Just regulate it properly. It's like the same with the banks. They won't regulate it properly. Yeah, yeah. And yet they had all these regulators 
but they just they had so many different rules and laws. Nobody listened to them. Yeah, and they, they weren't they as clever. As the, uh, they weren't as clever as the the people in the, in the banks, and likewise, I'm sure yeah. the off-gen isn't as clever as the executives working at the um, the energy yeah. companies. So they're always going to be yeah. found wanting. I have to admit, there was a very funny thing on the radio today, and it was it was the Financial Conduct Authority, and it, I mean this is shows when government tries to help, <laughs> and you just think, oh my goodness, um, and it was like you know just people were surely. No, no, but they, they were basically saying that there was some uh, telephone scam uh, where people were being phoned up and the chap on the phone was saying, oh, our company is doing really well and it's made 40% a right, a, you know, again in one year alone and obviously would you want to invest in it? Um, and people were, they were all saying, oh, yeah, that sounds great and, and they're giving all away their money. Now, I mean, surely, I mean, you might understand most companies, if they do particularly well, they might got by 5%, maybe even 10% um, stock market growth in a year, you know, or something reasonable. Um, but, you know, but, but when they say, oh, it's 40%, Surely that would ring alarm bells and make you think, no, you know, you just this is a joke or, or a scammer. Um, I mean, it's it's. But they were trying to say, you know, be be scam aware. Yeah. This kind of thing. And you think, how much money's gone into that? Some people are very ignorant about yeah. you know finance, and also people are greedy. So yeah. ignorance and greed come together, yeah. and you know it's perfect for scamsters. You know, but then that's the kind of thing they'd have on watchdog. You know, or something like all right, wouldn't it? He'd be saying, you know, watch out for people saying that kind of thing. Leave it to them to sort it out. You know, we don't need the, the FCA. I mean, it was that to rename it because it was what was it before? It was the FSA, and they were so bad. Once <laughs> again, they renamed the whole regulatory group and that because it was the same as the Food Standards Agency and nobody knew the difference I suspect the Food Standards Agency probably could have done a better a job, job. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> you know, by just not doing anything you've you know? done what? <laughs> you know, you know, you know. <laughs> but yeah but no it, it is something when you think the size of this and these guys it's not as if they're on small money I mean every person working in these kind of places will be on at least 20 grand a year if not more um, you know, and, and I'm sure as they go up the ladder they'll be on significantly more and many of them have hundreds and hundreds of staff sometimes into the thousands yeah. and, uh, and you're just saying is it really you know we need things like trading standards I think that makes sense because that's a practical on the ground thing that you can phone up you can check if a company is dodgy and then they can give you feedback and say yes we've had complaints or not over I think if anything that would be a, a, an area they'd want to invest in but all these other regulators it's just too far away they just don't make any difference at all um, it's like almost going back to this landlord thing you know they, want, they always seem that landlords are evil and I know there are some that have done a, not a great job and there was a programme on the TV it was the Panorama last week um, where they had the <coughs> it was Britain's worst landlords um, and there was one that was a kind of guest house paradiso uh, they were earning £10,000 a month in this uh, hotel in London and it was basically uninhabitable. They had open sewers and everything on the ground floor, and it was just just awful. But you think, you know, ten thousand pounds, he could have just sold it for scrappers. You know, he could have got done something with it. Surely, if he's earning that kind of money, uh, but he had every excuse saying, "Oh, he couldn't keep up with the repair bills." So why do people stay there? You know, well, that's the thing. You think, yeah, who would? Who would actually do that? You think just go any, anywhere else? Surely, it would be better than staying there. But people, I suppose, just unless, do. of course, you're tied in by new labour to a three-year contract. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, every landlord has to, you know, show what properties they have, and surely these regulators are supposed to be inspecting them. So why haven't they inspected them and shut them down? It just seems like they have all these licensing fees and all these rules and regulations, and it still doesn't do anything. So the bad ones still continue and, and, and flourish anyway, you know? So they need, you know, if you're going to have laws, at least make them have teeth and actually make them sort of... Right, but out. it's a market. They don't have to live in those places. So why don't they just go and find somewhere else? I don't know. Maybe because they think there isn't anywhere else. 
It, um, but ah, it was it was certainly it was certainly quite something. But actually, for a, for a laugh, we must talk about the greens, because Natalie oh. Bennett was on oh. was on Question Time mm. last last Thursday. She wanted she didn't have a brain freeze for once, which was something. But we were expecting something crazy. And what was interesting, they'd launched a manifesto. No, it's just the seat. That um, oh, <coughs> it was just. I'm sure it's a it's a leatherette chair that um, that I'm sitting on. But um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, they were discussing their latest manifesto launch. And the Greens, they want one million new public sector jobs, which is pretty much what they've been trying to get rid of for the last five years. <laughs> and they want more. And not only do they want one million extra public sector jobs, they want uh, this minimum income idea, but with every other benefit as well, which is simply going to cost, it's for everybody, regardless of wages that they earn. That's going to cost about 280 billion <laughs> just for that. And then as another how many billion for twenty you know a million public sector jobs at least another twenty or thirty billion at least on top, and goodness knows so many other taxes. And what are these public sector? I mean, they do, are they defined? What are they, what what are they? NHS, that similarly means a good number, uh, but but nowhere near. What well, well, I mean, is this plucked from the sky? All every all, I bet you it'll be all it'll be climate change. And how are they going to pay for it again? They're going to put the taxes up. For people who earn more than 150 grand, right. it's now going to be instead of 45%, it's going to be 60%. And that will bring in 250 million a year, will it? <coughs> it needs about 250 billion. Oh, billion. Sorry. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> Millions, billions. Doesn't matter yeah. who the Greens, does it really? And then obviously all this kind of tax evasion that they reckon is going on, which I know there's probably a bit, but if you, if you start, you know, if, you, if you're not going to have a competitive tax rate then for corporations, which they're not going to have either... Um, and then you want everything out of them, and um, the companies are just going to go. They're just going to say it's it's just not financially viable to stay, um, and that. So um, so all all their tax evasion stuff is just going to go down the drain. And every, everybody who pays, and that anyone who's got any kind of value in their home, um, that'll be it. They'll be paying extra. Yeah, I, I, it it just seems complete fantasy, really, doesn't it? It's uh, fantasy politics. Yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, I I'm not a financial analyst, but how on earth is that supposed to work? Yeah. There's only, I mean, it seems to be they have the laugher curve, isn't it? There's only a certain amount you can squeeze out of people. Yeah, it's about forty percent or something like that. Is around about the yeah. the sweet spot before people just think I can't be bothered or yeah. just leave. Oh, yeah. And they want sixty percent. So, well, I think everyone will just either just pack up, put their feet up won't make the effort to, to earn the money and yeah. pay the taxes, or they'll just be gone. Yeah, yeah. No, it is quite quite something. And also in this week we've had more, um, because um, was it last Thursday on Question Time they had John Swinney. Um, it was quite a good oh, Question Time, actually. Yeah, it was. The week yeah. before, it was an awful lot better. It seemed like the audience was a lot more balanced, which is quite an achievement for the BBC, certainly, to have <laughs> an audience that actually claps when somebody on the right says something. But um, normally you just get one clap and uh, when, when somebody like Nigel says something. Exactly, the swivel-eyed loon in the crowd is <laughs> clapping. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so they had John Swinney on it, who managed for about ten minutes to look reasonable. Um, but then he was confronted quite heavily by people like Paul Nuttall um, and uh, William Haig and the others who really kind of said actually you know, trying to expose the truth about what these guys are trying. That It is simply to get their own interests put first. You know, they say they represent all of Scotland, but it, OK, maybe they've got the 45% voting for them who voted yes, but there's still the 55% who said no, who are not SNP at all. And the only issue is they're being split amongst the other parties. Yeah. And that's maybe why you're not getting the same vote. But um, it's, uh, a lot of Scots are horrified at thinking of what the Nats are going to try and do um, you know, and hold the balance of power potentially if Labour gets in. Well, Sturgeon and Swinney seem to have become 
you know the the heroes of the election in England, which to me is just absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. But as far as I can tell, it's most of the people that they're debating against in the, in the nationwide debates, so including English and Welsh politicians, they don't know the issues in Scotland. So yeah. these Sturgeon and Swinney can just say things, and no, because they don't have the research for Scotland, they they can't yeah. say actually that's nonsense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know what they need to do is gen up on some of the SNP's claims and just yeah. expose them for, for what they are, which is, again, economically illiterate, most yeah. of it. I mean, I just don't understand. They want to, if they get in and they were holding some form of association with Labour, they want Labour to spend an extra £180 billion, um, over the next five years. So, I mean, that's about £30 billion a year plus, roughly over five years, about £35 billion a year, thereabouts. Um, I mean, and then they say, oh, we're, we're, you know, it's an old point, it represents something like 0.5% increase in spending and it just is going to take longer for the deficit to go down but if you're borrowing all that money which is a substantial amount of money how on earth does the deficit go down it just doesn't i can't kind of grasp that maybe it's just me but you know if you're borrowing more money and then you're not really paying that money back the deficit's not going to go down because who are you giving the money to exactly and interest rates are only going to go one way and you're not going to get growth Growth isn't going to just suddenly jump in and pay for it all, it, you know, or get some form of get some of the money back. No, it's well, just going to be borrowing even more. Business will be very scared yeah, um, yeah. In, in a country running along those lines. Yeah. If they borrow more, there's no way they're going to, that the deficit's going to come down because you're borrowing money and you've got to pay interest as well on that money, as well as the, the capital source of that money. You're going to start paying it back. And it's not as if you're going to cut elsewhere to then say, right, we've got money left over. Mm-hmm. So they just seem to breeze over that and just say, oh, economists, I they always say uh, um, academic economists, oh, um, you know, agree with them. But I wonder, about, how about the real world economists who mm-hmm. say, actually, you know, that's yeah, just Yeah, who understand crap. the economy, how it you know? works in real yeah. life, as opposed to these sort of uh, yeah. people who live in university yeah. sort of reams. They're of... very careful who they choose and what quotes they use to, to kind mm-hmm. of try and, um, and prop up their nonsense and that. But, um, but yeah. So there we have it. It's a week on Thursday. That's polling day. I think you know who we're going to vote for. But as I say, it's up to you and you've got plenty of choice as to who you would like to vote for. Um, but uh, let us know your thoughts and you can always contact us uh, at email at hattrickandramsey at gmail.com. But for tonight, from the lovely Castle Donington, it's good night and thanks very much. Bye. In 1972, a crack commando unit was sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security stockade to the Los Angeles underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-Team. 